happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Chillin' in the State House, your favorite Kansas politics and government podcast. I'm Jason Alatid from the Topeka Capital Journal, and I'm here with John Hanna of the Associated Press. Yes, a, a grade A high quality Thanksgiving turkey I am right here. Gobble, gobble. You didn't have to write about uh, turkey hunting regulations. For no, well, you know, actually the Associated Press did a bit back write a story about how the fall turkey hunting season had been canceled because there weren't enough turkeys to hunt. And it has something to do with the habitat and breeding habits. And this has been, this has been a problem uh, across much of the Midwest and the South, by the way. Uh, I, I needed a Thanksgiving story. So what's, what's more Thanksgiving than turkeys, except not being able to hunt them and eat them for your Thanksgiving? Dinner? Sure. Now, I've, I've got a question for you, uh, Jason. Do you like cranberry sauce at all? No. Okay. So I I was going to ask whether you like the cranberry sauce with the berries in it and, you know, that looks like cranberry sauce or whether you're like me, you like the stuff in the can that comes out with the ridges of the can on it. And it's like a blob and you just cut it into slices. That's the, good eating right there. The, the, the proper Thanksgiving dish is... Uh, mashed potatoes with gravy and mac and cheese with some meat on the side that the mashed potatoes and gravy get onto doesn't matter much to me if it's turkey or see, ham. I'm a big, I'm and, a big and, green beet. I, I'm oh, a big green, green bean casserole. Yeah. Yes. See, I'm the only one in my family who likes mm. green bean so, casserole. So you have to make it or else no one else. Will. That's exactly it. Yeah. Nobody else likes green. I don't, I don't understand how I got this trait of liking green bean casserole. And then a good, uh, sweet potato pie or. Yeah, casserole. that's good. Uh, and my birthday usually falls around Thanksgiving, so uh, my, my, some, some years I get a pumpkin pie for a birthday cake. Well, that's cool. And my my sweet, lovely, talented, intelligent daughter, uh, her her birthday falls on uh, Thanksgiving this year, November the twenty third. It's also my parents' wedding anniversary, by the way. Um, so there you go. A sig- November the twenty third is a date that's very significant in my family. So, but we were here to talk about that big turkey known as property taxes. Well, I could have asked, what, what, what date do you start putting up your Christmas decorations? I'm a wait until December guy. Uh, I am a, I am not much of a fan of the commercial Christmas uh, holiday. I am, I, I am much more a religious Christmas holiday person. So all of this pet present buying and buy, 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 stuff, stuff, stuff uh, that it's evolved into. I'm, you know, I, I follow the, the end of the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Maybe uh, Christmas means a little bit more. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. So that's, that's my thing. Well, well our uh, Christmas tree is not up, but our lights outside are because I wanted to do it while it was right nice while it was warm. We, yeah. we you talked about that last yeah, week, but, but we were both talking today about how we still need to clean our lawns of all the leaves. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a nice fall chore, and you know you don't you, when you buy the house and you look at all those beautiful trees and the shade they provide, you're not exactly thinking of the mounds of leaves. I one house I had, not the one I'm in now, but before some kid came by and 
and uh, once when I was raking leaves and had bag after bag after bag of leaves, he wanted to take the bags to his lawn, pour them out, and jump in them. And I was like, I'm not sure your dad's going to be cool with that. And, of course, he wouldn't have been. Now, when you are raking those leaves into bags this year, yeah. Uh, how many bags worth of leaves do you think you could replace with bags of money to be paying the property tax bill that just came in the mail? Well, you know, I, I think some property owners are going to say you probably need to give up more bags of money than you have bags of leaves. There's been a lot. And this is, um, this is a big deal. It's not just in Kansas. We're talking on the Friday before Thanksgiving. The Colorado legislature began a special session today. Uh, on property taxes. The governor announced it, broke uh, some kind of, he had some kind of display with break this glass and in times of emergency and he broke the glass and, you know, because they're, what's been happening, of course, is that housing uh, prices, housing values have been rising pretty significantly across the country. And while that builds wealth. If you are the homeowner, I guess none of us are really the homeowner. The bank owns the home and we just pay for it. Um, But be that as it may, the values go up. In theory, you are building your wealth, but you're also paying more in taxes. And there are efforts to reduce our collective tax burdens. Oh, Jason, I think when the state started, there were efforts to reduce the collective property tax burden. I don't, I don't think there's ever been an era in Kansas history when there wasn't a, a discussion of how to reduce property taxes. And I'm pretty confident that whatever they come up with next year, if they come up with something, 50 years from now, legislators will be talking about having to work again to rein in property taxes. And I mean, mean, as you eloquently put it, property tax complaints are not a new thing and legislative efforts to address it are not a new thing. It it seems to be, uh, if, if I came across, if there ever was an issue that seems to defy a permanent solution, it's, property taxes. And, and of course, there are, there are multiple reasons that people dislike them. The first one is, is if, you don't, if you're not paying through a mortgage company, I'm paying through a mortgage company, so it's, you know, it's cut up into 12 segments and it goes into an escrow account and they pay for it. But if you don't do that, you're paying it in two lump sums fall, spring, and so you really feel the bite. The second thing is you pay the tax, even if you're totally retired and you're not earning, you're not at a job earning a good income, you're on a fixed income, you still have to pay the tax because it's on the value of your property. But the thing that people tend to find most galling about property taxes is this business, because they're based on the appraised value of your home, that's the the bottom line number and they work from that you can pay more in taxes even if the levy the mill levy uh stays constant or even drops because your value goes up and of course the people determining your value are the county appraisers and 
um, you know, some years they do what they known in the trade as a drive-by appraisal. They come by, look at your house, you know, kind of drive by and compare it. Usually when you get these notices of valuation, there are some listings of a couple of comparable sales from your area. And so your value is supposed to reflect your fair market value. Of course, lay people generally have no idea what magic goes into an appraisal, especially if it goes up. And you, I mean, back, back in the late 80s, when this was a real big problem and they had legislative hearings, you frequently heard witnesses say, I've got this value on my home and I couldn't sell it for that. And so we go, going into the session, there's been a lot of talk about tax cuts. Sure. And property taxes in particular have been an area where Republicans and Democrats both want to engage. Yeah. Uh, because rising property taxes are not something anybody can ignore in the legislature. It does not matter that most of these taxes are imposed at the local level. And really, if people are upset about it, they could go to their local public officials and, you know, well, the well, legislature gets blamed for not doing more to rein them in. Well, well thinking of locals, uh, one idea related to property taxes that could – Potentially help local governments. Hold on, folks. It's got a long. It's got a long acronym. The, Lay it on me. Is it the local ad valorem tax reduction fund? Yes, you got them all. Or LAVTR or LAVTRF. Couldn't they come up with a better acronym for that? Well, I it mean, doesn't really matter if you aren't using it for twenty years. That's that's true. You know, it went. It it is still on the books. Um, but it was drained away in a budget crisis in 20 years ago, and it was actually a Democratic governor who did that, Kathleen Sebelius, and her argument was there wasn't enough money being spent on this item to make much of a dent in property taxes, therefore it was fairly painless to lose it. She got sued over that, and I think she still won, Um but, yeah, so there's some discussion amongst Democrats of bringing that back. And how much are they talking about putting into it? $130 million, I, I, I as I recall? I think that's about it, yeah. Uh, there's some statutory percentage of, I think, sales tax revenue. Yeah, because it can't just be it. straightforward. It has to be complicated. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's not just Democrats. There have been suggestions by certain Republicans that they might uh, support it. I know that... Uh, Senator Carolyn McGinn, a Republican from Sedgwick, uh, back when there was the homelessness meeting uh, a couple – well, a week ago for us today, uh, a couple weeks by the time you're listening to this, uh, she acknowledged that the LAVTR could be a way to help local governments address homelessness. But she also acknowledged that it's not a very popular idea among Republican leadership. Well, Republican leaders, uh, I think in his latest newsletter, House Speaker Dan Hawkins, who's from Wichita, described it as a slush fund. And the concern of Republican leaders is, is that you give this 
75, 85, 100, 130, 150 million dollars to local governments, and they don't cut property taxes. They use it to fund something else. And, you know, of course, the argument would be well, we would have had to raise our property taxes to cover those expenses, but that's not what these folks have in mind. They want to see levies drop. And, and so that is out there. I think the proposal from House Minority Vic Miller, a Democrat from Topeka, contains some proposals in there to re- basically require local governments to buy down their land. Well, it, I, I believe the technical way it would work is instead of the money going to the county and the county using it to lower the property tax mill levy, it would instead show up on your property tax bill as a rebate. Huh. So that way the county can't get their money grubbing hands on that slush fund. Yeah, I I don't know that county officials would describe themselves as money grubbing, r- but r- right. I that that that's me thinking. That's me. Uh, you're how, you're how, projecting yes. how people look at this. Okay, yes, yeah. That's yeah, fair. Th- th- they aren't looking at it as the leftover turkey sandwich after Thanksgiving. No, no, and that is an interesting concept. Of course, the other big advantage of doing it as a rebate on your property tax bill is that then everybody knows it's there. It's clear that it's there. Now, of course, what would be even better if you're going to go that route is to send people a little check (laughs) because then they really, they can hold it in their hands. That's like, you know, when you talk about, for example, income tax refunds and stuff like that, that is why there are sometimes discussions of that because you have this paper check you can hold in your hand and you know you got it. And and, and we'll see when... uh this coming holiday week comes around if I take the time to put in clips of Dan Hawkins and Vic Miller. But uh, I, as you said, Dan Hawkins described it as a slush fund and uh, he vowed, I, mean, I think his term was, you can bank on it yes. on the LAVTR being repealed. It was a great slush fund for the county. <laughs> they could do whatever they wanted with it. There was, no, there was nothing in there that, did, that said that they had to use it for property tax relief, but they knew that that was the, that was the purpose of it, was for tax relief. And it didn't happen. So why would you go back to a system, quite frankly, that piece should have been repealed long ago, and we wouldn't be talking about it right now. So this next year, you can bank on LABTR will be repealed. Vic Miller, Vic Miller what, what did he say? He said, I double dog dare him to actually put that kind of a bill on the floor and see how popular it is. I'd love to see the speaker do what he said he was going to do, and that was try to repeal the LABTRF statute altogether. I said, go for it. Put that out on the floor for a vote. We'll see how popular that idea is. In fact, you can. Put this in writing so he hears it before his listening tour later this week. I dare him to introduce that proposal. I double dog dare him. How's that? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll see. Look, um, and we'll get to the other proposals here, but, you know, the, the legislature for years on and off through into the 90s 
tried to impose a property tax lid where they said you can't raise more from property taxes than you did before. And then they just said, well, except for law enforcement, well, except for the fire department, well, except for this and except for that and except for this thing over here. And pretty soon it really wasn't much of a lid. And so they, they gave up that approach um, in favor of what is known as a property tax transparency law, which I don't know how it's if 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 the idea was transparency, it's damned hard to explain in print. But basically, it says that a city or a county is not allowed to spend more in property tax revenue than it did the year before more revenue, whatever the mill levy is, and except if they publicize that they're doing it, and then voters in theory have a chance to say, wait a minute, no, let's stop this, and force a vote on it. And what in practice happens is it just becomes routine it appears from looking at city budgets for the city to say, well, this is how much we think we need for our budget, and this is what the mill levy is going to be, and oops, we're spending more, and we're letting you know we spend more. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there are some places across Kansas where the local officials say, well, we got to rein this in because you know, people will be mad. And then there are some places where the public officials say, well, they trust us. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not nothing because it's transparency, but um, it's still, it still does not keep property taxes from rising in the aggregate. And just one last thing on the local ad valorem tax reduction fund. Uh, typically the funding or non-funding of that fund is done through the budget process, yes. which typically involves the conference committee appointed by leadership of both chambers writing it. So funding it is a difficult process for people to do if they don't have supportive leadership. As far as repealing the fund and its that entirety. That takes a law. Yeah, and I, I will also be curious to see. Well, it will be curious. I mean, if if in this context um, you want the money in the fund, to get the full amount, you're going to have to have pretty strong votes in both chambers and to overcome that resistance from, from leadership. So somebody's going to have to take control from leadership and do it. Um, you know, the legislature has this rule, this pay-go rule where it says if you add money to the – if you're on a floor debate in the House or the Senate and you add money to the budget, you got to cut it some from somewhere else. Um, so, you know, that makes it even more difficult. But, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to watch. I mean, they've been getting along uh, – you know, I don't think cities and counties view it this way, but from legislative perspective, they've been getting – along fine by having the fund in law and then just writing a proviso, a little provision in the budget that says, notwithstanding the 
law, we're not putting any money. <laughs> and um, and they did, they've done that for years on some things. Like, you know, we used to have a requirement for a 7.5 ending balance. I mean, nobody remembers this now because it's like, a gazillion percent because of the the revenues, but they they there were years, many years, they didn't make seven point five, and they just suspended that every year in the in the budget bill. Well, well, thinking of the uh, ending balance, this is a good time to remind people that it's uh, huge. It's freaking huge. Yeah, it's what like two point eight billion dollars plus one point seven billion yeah, in the I mean, rainy day fund. Yeah, it's it's. It's very large. And of course, it is that large because the governor and the Republican leaders disagree on on how to cut taxes, particularly income taxes. And therefore, Republicans pass what they want. The governor vetoes it. And Republicans so far have been unable. They were unable last year to override her veto. And just because the ending balance is $2.8 billion does not mean that you can – afford long-term $2.8 billion worth of tax cuts. At least not in but, a year. But we haven't been given a number that we can tell yeah, you they'll, what I people mean, will agree on. Yeah, and, you know, and and the issue there is going to be that any long-term pro- projection is always going to be a little shaky once you get to years three, four, and five. I will note that during the era of the brownback tax cuts, the much maligned income tax cuts, uh, there were projections initially that showed huge uh, budget shortfalls in the out years, and the Democrats hit on those really, really hard, and the conservative Republicans supporting it said, oh, no, the economy will grow, fix it. Well, uh, they had a whole rolling series of uh, persistent budget shortfalls, which is what made those tax cuts so infamous across the country. Um, anyway, other property yeah. tax ideas. So, so ones that get a little bit more complex to explain, almost as complex hats, as trying to figure out how to fit all the food on your Thanksgiving Day dinner plate. Uh, without getting the gravy that's, running into yeah, the uh, that, that's why they the that's why you go back pie. for seconds. You take small portions and you go back for seconds. You can't do that with property taxes, but you know, uh, uh, well, the, the government takes its first check and then they come back for a second. Yeah, one. I guess that that's that's a good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, so the idea from House Speaker Dan Hawkins, really, well, really the speaker. Both the speaker's idea and the minority leader's idea have to do with the state's 20 mil levy that is used to help fund schools. So this is a required state levy that goes to local schools. Uh, and the, we should we should explain that a mill for the uninitiated, if you're listening to this, you probably know this, but just in case you don't, a mill is a dollar of tax for every $1,000, and we got to use the right term, of assessed valuation. And the difference between assessed and appraised, we will explain shortly because it's at the heart of another proposal. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. the 20 mills. Yeah, so Dan Hawkins's idea is cut a couple to a few mills off of that 20 mil levy. Uh, if you want to read how the math works, I have it in my story at cjonline.com, but 
you can see how that a two or three mil cut to that 20 mil levy would affect your sure. property taxes. Uh, and then the idea from Vic Miller is to increase the exemption on the amount of your valuation that goes toward paying that mill levy. So increasing the exemption is something that both Republicans and Democrats have supported in the past. Uh, two sessions ago, they agreed to increase it from the long time 20,000 to a new 40,000 and index it to inflation. And John, as you and I wrote it at the time, it amounted to a $46 a year cut. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll take it, of course. You're not going to turn it down, but it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's, I mean, it's hardly life-altering. But uh, look, the the thing with cutting the mill levy, um, it used to be 35, and back in the 90s when there were good budget times, they decided, well, let's take it down, and it's now 20, okay? And because that's a, a property tax cut, and that's great. Well, of course, when you cut that levy, the state has to step in and replace it under the school funding formula. Um, and in theory, if you raise the exemption, it also has to do the same thing. So, you know, the state will have to come in and replace that revenue for local. I mean, the state is responsible for funding schools anyway, and the 20 mil levy is, in theory, the state's. Um, so, you know, I imagine there are going to be a lot of educators who are going to remind lawmakers that they that there were plenty of warnings that if you cut the the mill levy for schools in the 90s the argument was well you're going to have to replace that and if you get to a point where you can't replace it with state general fund tax dollars then schools are going to be shorted and actually that is exactly what happened i, I mean as with all of these tax cut discussions it's if you cut taxes if you cut property taxes by a certain amount that's less money that you can put toward, say, income taxes. Right, and so it's it's a balance. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting debate. The thing about the Democrats' proposal is it would probably be more skewed. It is more skewed toward people who own smaller houses in the sense that a bigger percentage of your valuation is off the rolls. So if you, you know, under their proposal, if you're like, you know, if you're at a hundred thousand or less on a house, you don't pay this levy at all. But of course this 20 mil levy is a relatively small piece of pie. I mean, in Shawnee County, depending on what school district you live in and other property taxing districts, your mill levy is in the, I think, like 130 to 160 range. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, to put this in context, this levy was created, a statewide levy was created to close the gap in levies across the state. I mean, at the time in the... I want to say the early 90s, 1992, when they did this, they, they 
they went to a different school funding formula. I think the range was like from eight in the Burlington school district, because of course there's Wolf Creek, which it's like almost all the valuation, hence tax revenue in that county. So they could keep the mill levy ridiculously low to the example. I think always was Galena in Southeast Kansas, which at the time had the lowest property values per per person in of any school district and you know some school districts had levies approaching a hundred and one nice thing about these two ideas is we can tell you how they will affect you i have the math worked out in my story uh but if you want to know how to figure it for yourself you can take the valuation of your home you multiply it by the assessment rate of 11.5 percent you divide that by a thousand, then you multiply it by the mill levy. Right, and and but yes, yes. But then when you have the exemption for this twenty mill levy, you take the value of your home, subtract the exemption amount, and then you go through the rest of the process. Yeah, it's it's a multi-step process, and it's it, and it's one of the things that makes property taxes more. Uh, complicated. The history, very briefly, is that initially the Constitution said uh, basically all of, all of it would be uniform and equal based on fair market value. Um, you, the state did not. The counties did different degrees of how often they reappraised property to set that value. You got way, way out of whack uh, between counties. And so somebody, the legislature, somebody had the bright idea of doing a statewide reappraisal. Well, of course, in the mid-1980s, what that did was it raised property values. And man, people were upset. And so they amended the state constitution to set up this system of assessment ratios, right? So a home is assessed at 11.5% of its value and business property is assessed at a much higher rate. I think 30% if I'm remembering. My guess was going to be 26, but... I, I, could, I don't I'd have to go to the Constitution and pull it out and 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 we're not even talking about agricultural land which is assessed based on something called land its use value. land use value. So it's not really um and anyway the idea was to kind of get those rates to reflect where property taxes had kind of been and it took a couple of tries. Well that's a great segue into the third area where Republicans and Democrats want to take action that results in property tax cuts, but both want to go about it in different ways. Oh, and yeah, that's a constitutional amendment. Yes. Uh, and, and since you already uh, kind of halfway explained the background going into the Democratic well, idea. The Democratic idea, isn't it, to cut the assessment rate on residential property from 11.5% to what, 9%? To 9%, yep. So what that would mean is if you own a – we'll make this easy for folks. If you own – a $100,000 home, right now you're paying taxes on 
11500 of that value. This would make you pay taxes on 9000 of that value. And of course, Vic Miller, Vic, by the way, was formerly way back in the day, uh, head of the property valuation division at the Department of Revenue. So he's very familiar with property tax issues. But his argument is that will get the amount of revenue raised from homeowners versus the amount of revenue raised from businesses back to where it was supposed to be. Well, well not even all the way back, just closer to where it yeah, was. Yeah, closer. What his argument is what's happened is is that things have gotten out of whack and the burden of paying property taxes has shifted over the years to homeowners. Yeah, and shift is a good word to describe it because this would not result in any cost to the state or to local governments. And the way that it would reduce property taxes for homeowners is by shifting some of the burden onto businesses and other property taxpayers. Right. And as Vic said, as as Minority Leader Miller said, uh, some people would say this is unfair to him it's not fair enough because it's not going close enough back to the ratio of how much of the property tax burden was on residential payers versus on those other classes. And well, and what's interesting about that is back, 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 and I promise I was not here. This is based on my reading of history. But in the 19th century, this idea of property taxes was to, was to, control, break up, whatever words you want to use, uh, big estates, that you weren't just going to let the landed gentry, such as it is in the United States, just keep passing this massive wealth and land on and on without taxing it. And so this really was a kind of a progressive idea to stick it to the rich. And of course, now, now often... It feels like who's who's getting stuck by big property tax increases? Widows, you know, retirees, small business owners. Those are the people who feel uh, really especially aggrieved. You know, people operating on fixed incomes or thin profit margins. Well, thinking of those on fixed incomes, that's really the biggest argument that I've heard behind the Republican idea. And that is a limit on the growth of your valuation. So in that $100,000 home example you had, uh, let's say the appraiser comes out and says your value jumped 10%, so now it should be 110000 Under this proposal, you would only be limited to a 4% increase. So even though your home is the fair market value is 110,000 for tax purposes it'll be 104,000 and then, and then you'll multiply it by that 11.5% because so that would that would make a complicated system a little more complicated because you would have the appraised value you would have the constitutional appraised value which would be different than the fair market value and then you'd have the assessed value after you did this formula and that last thing would be the thing you'd you'd base the taxes on 
Jason, what what are the upsides and downsides of doing this? Well, well so the idea is, I mean, as, as long as the value, as long as the property stays in the same property owner's hands, there is that growth limit in place. Right. And, so and, there's an incentive for me to stay in my home until until I croak, basically. Well, the idea is. If you're a retiree, sure, and you're facing the possibility of being taxed out of your home because your income isn't going up, exactly, but your home value is, and now your property taxes are, the idea is this would limit those increases in valuation and limit in your increase in tax, so that way you aren't forced to leave your house because of the taxes. Well, and that's interesting. But that also doesn't take into account that the the second part of how property taxes are uh, levied, and that's the mill levy. So what would keep the local government from saying, well, because of this appraisal limit, this, this valuation limit, we can't raise your valuation as much as it should be, but we still control the mill levy. Well, so the idea, the idea behind that is, let's say every home increases by that statute, that new constitutional cap of four percent. The uh, the taxing authorities would presumably raise the mill levy to account for that, and then you're back where you started. Yeah, I mean, the 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 issue here is. As long as there's a place that local governments can get an out to raise extra revenue, they will do it. Uh, they, I mean, and that's that's not a criticism. They will do it. They have roads to fix. They have police to hire. They have fire departments to fund. You know, many of them have parks and, and, and stuff that they want to fund and don't feel they ever have enough money. So... Yeah, they're going to go out, you know, if you've got a school district, they, you know, they look at, we want to give our teachers a raise, we want to buy new textbooks, we want to do this to the school buildings, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be considering ways to fund these things. And so, yes. And and if you were thinking. And that's historically what has happened. And if you were thinking, there's no way every home would go up by that 4% growth limit. You're right. I mean, the, the the thought is people who stayed in their home will have that 4% growth limit every year over time for any year that their valuation increase exceeds it. And then the value would be reset to market value any time sure. it changes hands. And so what that would mean is over time, somebody who has lived in a home for 20 years has accumulated the benefits of that growth limit. And then somebody who comes in, a younger first-time home buyer or maybe somebody Such who as wants yourself. to right or somebody who has lived in their starter home and is ready to buy a new house. Yeah. They come in and they are now paying the full tax burden on the fully right. so market if, value if, home. If you're a young married couple and you live in a a two-bedroom, one-bath little bungalow of 900 square feet, and your 
your spouse, your wife gets pregnant and you suddenly discover it's you're going to have twins and you need a house with, you know, you want a house with three bedrooms and two bathrooms um, or, you know, your aging parent, want, you, you're worried about your aging parent and want to move them in. So you go looking for a bigger, bigger house. Uh, you know, you're, you're the one who's going to take it on the chin. So, you know, you got to ask, why do these people hate kids and old people? That's a joke, folks. That's going to be an argument, by the way. You're going to be sitting at the kids' table this time. Yes, yes. I'm always sitting at the kids' table. Uh, But, and you're, you're still having that mill levy increase to account for that and so really, home. and so really, you know, the question is: Then do you turn around and say, "Okay, smart guys, uh, smart people, um, we're going to just we're going to crack down on your mill levies"? Well, you know, that's that's exactly what Proposition Thirteen was uh, back in the late seventies in California, um, and then that had its own problems as somebody who was in. I guess it was junior high in California uh, in the 19, late 1970s. I, I can tell you it did have effects in the classroom. Um, but that's going to force tougher spending decisions at the local level. And then you're going to get into questions about local control. But so, it, it, in the same way that the Democrat proposal would shift property tax burden – from residential property owners onto other classes, the Republican idea would shift the uh, some of the tax burden from longtime older home- homeowners onto younger first-time homebuyers or people who upgraded their homes. So, it, G- giving another reason for millennials to hate boomers, right? Well, pretty soon I mean, it would be, be Gen Z. For me. Yeah, it would be, be great for me. I mean, I you know, I, as long as I stayed in my home, it would be great for me. But if, you know, my daughter was out in the countryside here trying to buy a home, she would be the one. So, you know, um, I, I'm sure they'll have all of these discussions and try to figure out ways to – uh, ameliorate that. Maybe the argument is if you're younger and in the prime of your earning years, you can probably afford a little more um, as opposed to somebody who is retired and on a fixed income. That that would probably be one of the arguments that you'll hear that, you know, you're shifting the burden on to people who are still earning money and, and building their careers. So they're more likely to be able to afford it than, you know, somebody slightly older than me. I, I just think back to the phrase that every politician likes to use of making Kansas the best place to live, live work, work, and raise, and a, raise family. a family. Yes, and living, working, and raising the family. And that phrase doesn't say to live, work, raise a family, retire, then watch your children raise their family. No, it it doesn't. Although you know there is a discussion about creating a climate where people can retire in Kansas after living here and working here, um, you know, and we haven't even touched uh, social security income in the, the, the cliff. And yeah, that, that might be that's talk for, for another, another time. time. I, part, part of the reason to talk property taxes now is we now know what both side want. We had the property tax bills go out 
And we've had the House Speaker promise that the constitutional amendment will be one of the very first things brought up when the legislature reconvenes in January. And and all of these things, all of this just points out this is a complicated, this is a longstanding debate over property taxes. It's comp- trying to fix it is complicated and um, and tricky. And you face the problem of in some point in the future, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to have to come back and look at it again. And politically, uh, real quick, just the the biggest hurdles for the Democrat plans first are <laughs> they're that, Democrats. Yeah. Yes. So it's hard to even get a committee hearing uh, or to get a floor vote. But as far as the constitutional amendments go for both sides, you would need a two-thirds majority in the House and a two-thirds majority in the Senate, and then it would go to voters where you need a simple majority. And I'd have to imagine that any question put before voters that would result in lower property taxes would pass overwhelmingly. Well, and the question, you know, the question is how that debate is framed and what numbers are out there for lower property taxes. You know, it do... You know, do you get into a debate? Well, yes, it will lower property taxes. No, you're not telling people the truth. The mill levies will go up. Um, you know, I, I could see Republicans saying, well, you know, if we don't do this, the mill levies will still go up. That, you know, that they'll still raise their mill levies. It's not like they're going to hold back without this uh, amendment. I can see that argument being made. And, so. and, and we already uh, explained some of the difficulties with the legislative process on the LATVR. Yeah. And then as far as either cutting mills off of the state levy or increasing the exemption, the problem will be the same as it has in years past on tax policies is that it'll likely get bundled into a bigger bill and that will likely include a flat tax. The governor will likely veto it. Democrats will likely vote against it. Most Republicans will likely vote for it. And then you will have a very small number of Republicans in the middle with lots of pressure on them for will you or won't you vote to override. And and let's make this even slightly more complicated so that there's more head spinning. But generally, the school mill levy is because under the Constitution, you can't impose a property tax for more than two years. It's generally included in school funding legislation. And what do Republicans want to talk about when they talk about school funding legislation? They also want to talk about school choice, something the governor is not a fan of. So there's another potential veto point right there. If indeed uh, the Republicans backing school choice can even get what they want out of the House or the Senate. And then remember, this is an election year. Well, yes. 2024 will be an How election year. How could we year. forget? And the entire Senate will be up, and yes. the entire House will be up, yes. but the governor won't be up. Yes, she will not. And she's term limited anyway. And of co- although whatever she does, I'm sure will be cast upon the Democratic nominee in 2026. And I would not want to be a legislator going to voters in October telling them, yeah, sorry, you don't get any tax cuts this year. And yeah, we legislators will get a pay increase in the following January. Yeah, yeah. That 
That Which, would be if you bad. want to hear more about the pay increase, yes, you can listen we're, to we're back podcasts. Uh, kind of fun. Look for the one with the Taylor Swift references because that was where we talked about it. I, our our legislative pay era. Yes. Uh, but we are very thankful for our listeners and yes. for our readers. And John, if our listeners would like to be readers of your work, where they, can they find it? Well, uh, I'm on the uh, X platform at APJD Hannah. That's D as in David. And then uh, I have my own author page, www.apnews.com backslash author backslash John, J-O-H-N, the right way to spell it, hyphen Hannah, H-A-N-N-A, like the great uh, lineman for the New England Patriots, by the way. And uh, what about you, Jason? I am at Jason underscore Alatid on X, and you can read my work at cjonline.com. And I am thankful that the next time we are here at, on Chillin' in the State House. We should have a third voice joining ooh, us. Ooh, that will be fun. I can hardly wait. You know, and I was thinking that you mentioned we talked about the LAVTR or whatever, LAVTRF. Could we could we name it like rename it the Love Fund or the Joy Fund or you know, I'm, I'm Republicans could come up with their own. You know, let let if you're a Republican and you don't like the idea of the LAVTR being funded, call, come up with an acronym for us. You could call it the cranberry sauce because nobody yes, wants not, it. Yes, nobody wants to eat the cranberry sauce or the stuffing. See, I like stuffing, cornbread well, stuffing. I like too carby, mm-hmm. but it's good. Does anybody have ham for Thanksgiving? Sometimes. I, that's like sacrilege, though. Hmm. I'm sure the pork. I'm sure your average pork producer has ham, though. I I think it was always easier to cook. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. You know, it's always hard to calculate how much time in the oven the turkey needs. And of course, if you are a vegan, you don't face these problems. Well, as we are getting hungry. Yeah, we'll I'm starving, off. man. We'll, we'll go eat. And uh, if this was your break in between first Thanksgiving plate and second Thanksgiving break and plate, uh, enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs>